Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey, Pod Squad. How's everyone going? Good. Good. What a time. We are halfway through this year, which is just wild. My book is officially out, which is so very cool. And we are just pushing forward with some super interesting podcast chats at the back end of this year, towards the back end, from now to the end of the year. You know what I'm saying. Firstly, before I get into this week's conversation, which is with Annie McCubbin, who I've got to say, I loved chatting with Annie. She basically at one point in our chat was like, manifesting is a whole load of codswallop. And as someone who likes to believe they're a hardcore manifester, I found this really confronting. But listening to how she explained it and her whole um, communication is around critical thinking. Uh, she knows a lot about the brain. And so it just was a really, I don't know, it was so insightful and just a really cool thing for me to be like, oh, maybe, oh, okay, maybe I didn't manifest it. Oh, that's interesting. It's such a great chat. You're going to love it. Before we roll tape on Annie McCubbin, I just want to quickly share a message I got on Instagram. Um, at Last Drinks is the Instagram for this podcast, or you can follow me personally at Maz Compton, either, either, and you can reach out through either of those channels. Hi, Maz, love listening to you in the morning and just realized you have a podcast and a book on sobriety and it's something I'm really struggling with. Look forward to listening and reading. Thank you for letting me know because I know people are struggling and that is why I'm having these conversations. It's why I talk to people about their last drink, uh, the things about sobriety that are easy, the things about sobriety that are challenging, the things about alcohol that were hard, the things about alcohol that you can miss. And I understand that there are so many people sitting in that boat where they are just struggling. And I am having these conversations in the hope that you can get some tools and get some knowledge and some education and some power and take those steps towards sobriety. My encouragement to you, listener, is hang in there, um, dig around on the podcast. There's loads of episodes that will encourage you to assess your relationship with alcohol and really what it is for you and how you can move forward. So I just wanted to share that because I do obviously love hearing from people who are sober and inspired to stay sober by this podcast, but it's also a really timely reminder when I hear from someone who's like, hey, this is really, I'm not having a super fun time right now because I remember being exactly there where I had no idea how to stop drinking and it wasn't ruining my life, but it wasn't making my life more awesome. So my encouragement is to arm yourself with knowledge, be brave, and start. Start your sobriety journey. So let's get into the podcast. Annie McCarbon is an author. She's got a couple of awesome books, and her whole vibe is about teaching women. Definitely is her, uh, her vibe is women. I don't mean that in a weird way. I just mean like her her audience is women, but this is absolutely relevant to blokes because everyone has a brain, right? And her whole thing is teaching us to work with what we've got, that lump of fat in our head, uh, how it operates is really interesting. And 
when you start to understand your thoughts and then start questioning your thoughts, that's when we can really start uh, heading in a, a good direction in our lives. So rather than me over explain what Annie McCubbin's vibe is, I'll just let her tell you about it in the podcast chat. Reach out on social if you want to connect. Love hearing from you guys. And if you love this podcast, can you like share it with your mates? You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can leave like a really fun five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you do so wish. That would be amazing. Enjoy Last Drinks with Annie McCubbin. Annie, I I love this idea um, that you are really well-versed in communicating, which is why I wanted to talk to you about critical thinking. And I think it is not even a lost skill. I think it is a skill that we just do not get taught. And so firstly, I want to start with that. Like what is critical thinking? And then I really want to get into why women fall for wellness stuff. We get like sold into fads that don't work. Um, and we don't have the skill set to apply questions over our decisions sometimes, which lands us in some really problematic behaviours. So straight up, um, talk yeah. to me about critical thinking. Can you explain that to someone who's yeah. really not familiar with the term? And you're so right. It's just astounding, isn't it, that it's not taught. Yeah. When it's such a freaking fundamental skill that we all should be using every day of our lives. hundred percent. hundred percent. So critical thinking is simply metacognition, which is thinking about your thinking, thinking about your thinking. So unfortunately, a lot of our decisions are made um, subconsciously and then we just post-rationalise them. Our thinking is littered, literally littered with cognitive biases, cognitive flaws that skew our thinking skew our decision making and make us indulge in some pretty crappy destructive behavior Um, and because we're not aware of these cognitive flaws they're just sitting at the front of our bus every day sending us down the wrong highway and until we get a handle on them we're going to keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. A couple of things that I've learned on the way. So I wasn't really aware of the concept of metacognition or critical thinking until I started studying psychology for fun because I'm interested in human behavior. And at the time oh, I had a bit of, you know, a bit of time to apply myself to study. That's all on hold at the moment because I've got a bunch of other stuff going on. But sure. I really, when I sort of dug into metacognition and the idea of thinking about your thinking, I'm like, oh yeah, right. Because in my 20s, I was so spontaneous and I was so um, off the cuff and reactive to stuff that were going in my life. And I would I would sometimes behave a certain way and then the next day look back and go, oh, God, if I had just given it a beat. And so one thing <laughs> I learned um, for myself, I think, before I came across the idea of metacognition was, and I think it's something that my mum taught me, it's like, before you react, and we can talk about reaction versus response in a minute too, but before you have that initial fight, flight reaction, um, just take a beat and do three breaths. Yes. And it's something, it's something we tell kids because we, I think we are better at talking to kids about big emotions these days than what we ever have been. I do this with my four-year-old. I'm like, are you in the red zone, buddy? The red zone's the angry zone. And if you're in the red zone, we need to just sit down together and do a few breaths. And then I'll sit yeah. in the red zone with you and you can tell me why you're angry instead of throwing a cup across the room. And yeah. I think it, it's something that as an adult, it is such a useful skill just to give yourself a beat, a moment, so that when you do eventually respond to a situation, you're calculated and you are together and then you it's easier to take accountability for your response because you're in control of it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's absolutely one hundred and thousand percent true. <laughs> and it's a big number, I know. Um, so we, unfortunately, we are given the message repeatedly to trust our gut, and, mm. and that our intuition, <clears throat> our intuition is king. And our intuition is just reversion to memory. It's just it's just another fancy word for memory. So if you trust your intuition, 
then you're trusting your memories and whether or not your memories are accurate or not is an entirely another, you know, it's an entire another story. So the notion that we have a strong feeling and then because we're told a sort of gut is king, we assume that the feeling is accurate. Well, the feeling is just a feeling. So giving yourself that critical time to go, hang on, I've got a really strong feeling here like maybe it's Friday night and I would really like to have a drink and that would what we would be, you know, we would call that an intuitive response, right? Maybe stop for a minute, take a big fat breath and then have a little check through your brain and the more you equip yourself with some really good information about some of the top, top biases which are driving your thinking, if you give yourself that time, then you can go, hmm, I wonder if this is the optimism bias or I wonder if this is the recall bias where I only remember drinking being this really fun, liberating thing and don't remember the desperately awful, horrible hangover that I had to suffer through. So if you can stop, equip yourself with a bit of info in the right direction and then maybe you've got a better chance of making um, a better decision. I tell you one of the most interesting things, and that is that when we think about ourselves in the future, the part of our brain that fires off is the same bit of your brain that fires off when you think about strangers, which is why trying to control your behavior now, referencing the future doesn't work because it's like, hey, I don't care if I have 10 drinks tonight because the hangover is in your mind is going to happen to somebody else and not you, which is why trying to. I know that is so powerful. I know. When I read that, I was like, Oh my actual God, is that true? It is true. It fires off. And the prefrontal cortex. So you have this decision-making in the old part in the limbic system, right? Which is like, man, I want to party. I want to have a drink. And the prefrontal cortex, which could be going, hang on. You have to have a meeting at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning and be on the ball, literally goes, it just shuts down. So it's the same with saving. You know, it's exactly the same thing. You cannot, you, you think that it's the, the, a stranger that you don't care about that's going to be hung over and broke. Isn't that fascinating? That is so interesting. So, so freaking interesting. Is that why... Some people, oh, look, myself included, go, oh, I'll just start the regime on Monday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the regime. I'm going to do, I'm going to tap into that challenge on the first of the month. And the first of the month comes and goes and you're like, oh, maybe I'll do it next month. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is the optimism bias where you grasp onto this unrealistic future And in this future, you're like really disciplined and awesome, right? But it's always the future. So you push the responsibility into the future instead of going, look, I'm here right at this second and I'm with a group of women who think that margarita drinking is just like the most coolest thing on the planet. You know, it's probably not going to work. What I've got to do is remove myself from this environment and, you know, maybe go for a walk or maybe go to the gym or do something constructive. I've written two characters in my last book, Why Smart Women by the Lies, that both have a drinking problem. Mm. And the thing is that the drinking problem is made to look really glamorous. It's made to look like, you know, you get a promotion, you lose your job, whatever's happening, we're going to crack open that moat or we're going to pour ourselves a margarita and it's got a very cool sort of frame over the top. But, of course... Um, for both the characters, it's an absolute disaster because they come to grief. I wonder if most drinking problems are thinking problems because you're not thinking when do you not you're not using critical thinking when you lean into that habituation and that well, I'm around my friends and this is easier and like. Monday Maz isn't even relevant right now. So it's Friday, right? Like, so I wonder if we can give people tools and that's what we'll get into now. Like, 
how do we use critical thinking? Are all the tools up here and we just need to learn how to access them? If we can use those tools that that's going to make that hurdle of managing our relationship with alcohol better because I do know and I've been there, I've sat in that seat where I literally thought quitting drinking was impossible. I was so dependent and my life was not chaotic. My life was wonderful, but I I lent on alcohol as the multi-tool of coping with the bigness of the choices of my life and the success that my career had had. And, And I remember thinking, I, I genuinely don't think I can get through a weekend without drinking. Now, I haven't had a drink now for eight and a half years. So at some point between that story and now. Wow, I, go I, you. Thank you. Amazing. I have Amazing. managed to apply that critical thinking. And it did start with a conversation with myself in the mirror where I went, I wonder what a weekend without alcohol would look like. And that, that was just the very, that was the sober curiosity. That was 2014 for me. And wow. I think from there, those conversations with myself, which is really the metacognition, thinking about my it thoughts, is. thinking about my behavior, um, thinking about my feelings. I really started to ask myself a lot of questions that I couldn't answer. Or oh, the answer I kept coming back to was, well, maybe you should try not drinking because that might offer you a different behavior and a different output over your weekend you know and I think yeah so how do we how do we access critical thinking if we if the alcohol has a grip or it's too hard to say no to our friendship group because drinking is so ingrained in celebration socializing all the things that we have what are there a couple of steps you can walk people through who are interested in trying to you know rearrange their thoughts around drinking Sure. So first of all, I just want to say up front, I'm not a psychologist. I just have an absolute massive interest and have immersed myself in critical thinking. So I know that if people are really in trouble with it and they really have an addiction, then they need to seek proper help and, you know, maybe take themselves out of that environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Because what, what we know about willpower and trying to change habits is that willpower pretty much isn't going to cut it. We just run out of it. It's a very, very difficult muscle Mm. to keep using. And once you have started, actually, once you've had a drink, what happens to your brain is myopia sets in. So you have the drink and all that is present is the now. Everything else, like myopia, just literally fades to all the issues, all the problems, everything just fades off the horizon and you're only in this present. And in this present, once you've started drinking, of course, it's nice mm. and it's relaxing and there's this pleasant feeling that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. So I think once you've had the drink, it's a little bit difficult. So you've got to try like you did to get yourself to start developing some thinking before you actually have the drink. So Mm. recognising, I think recognising some basic cognitive flaws like confirmation bias, you know, where you only consider the things that happened when you're drinking that were fun and you cherry pick. We do this all the time. Cognitive, you know, confirmation bias is the the mother of all biases. We just Mm -hmm. cherry pick the environment and only remember things and only notice data that supports what we already think. Yeah. So if you want to think that, you know, um, drinking's fun and why shouldn't you and who said no and who's all the wowsers and why shouldn't I, then that's what your brain's going to do. So you have to watch out for confirmation bias. You have to watch out for recall bias, you know, where you only recall the feelings and events that you want to believe in. So they all sort of, all these cognitive biases, they sort of all layer in on each other. Mm. And to try and, I think to try and sort of get those tendrils and start to pull them apart, it's going back to what you said in the first place, which is, you need to give you yourself some time. Yeah. And we know that any addiction is very much to do with triggers. Yeah. You know, so you get to a Friday night and, you know, the, the attentional bias is going to say to you, don't sit down with the kids and, and have a game of Scrabble. 
your attentional bias is going to go somewhere where it knows that you're going to be more likely to have a drink. Sure. So watch the football, go out with the mums. And, you know, we all like to go out with mums. It's Friday night. Why shouldn't I go out with the mums? So our capacity to make an emotional decision, which is this whole bit about intuition, what we do is you'll make an emotional decision and you'll post-rationalise it. Mm. And it's very, very quick. So, no, it's Friday night and I deserve, you know, these words like I deserve. I deserve is a big one, definitely. It's a really big one. I deserve to have a drink. Why shouldn't I have a drink? I've had a really big week. It's been massive. I just want to relax. Mm. So watching, I think, for the language and the narrative that you tell yourself that then supports your impulse and your trigger to go and get a drink. And the biggest thing that you can do is remove yourself with any of these things from the triggers. Just remove yourself. Mm. You know, it's like they say, if you're trying to lose weight, just take the frigging Smarties and the the, the chocolate biscuits and the out cheese the and get them out of the house Yeah, because it's there and it's going to trigger your brain. And we're, we're after pleasure. Mm. We're after that dopamine hit. The whole we're set up, the brain is set up to get the dopamine hit. Yeah. And anything pleasurable, unfortunately, the more you drink, the more you indulge in addictive behaviours, the more you need to do before you get the dopamine hit. It becomes yeah. harder and harder to get that pleasure chemical. So this whole thing is around, it's around thinking and it's around acknowledging that you're going to have strong emotional drivers that have elicited that have come from this old part of the brain that is very powerful and you have to try and say to yourself yep I've got a strong feeling but I'm going to in this moment like you did have a good look in the mirror mm. and say to yourself I do want to have a future I want to make better decisions so maybe in this moment not tomorrow not Monday Maybe in this moment I'm going to remove myself from the trigger and I'm going to make a better decision and I'm going to go and get a, I don't know, do you use alcohol-free wines? I don't know. Do you use I them? actually don't. I've never had an alcohol-free drink. I just, for me, look, I think if you are um, early on in your sober curiosity, non-alcoholic drinks are great because you can switch one in and switch one out and, you know, you can actually really manage the amount of alcohol you're consuming with non-alcoholic products. Sure. So it's a great little way to like, you know, sort of um, switch in and out and I think uh, just look at your relationship with alcohol and drink less. Uh, yep. My personal story is I stopped drinking on the 1st of January 2015. I haven't had a drink since alcoholic or non-alcoholic. That's just me though. And I'm not, you know, I might have a non-alcoholic wine one day. I just don't really feel, I have a kombucha or a cactus water and I'm fine. Like I don't really need yeah. it. But I know for yeah. some people, they, those products are really helpful and they can serve a purpose. For other people, it, they're really triggering. So you just really have to kind of figure out where, where you're at with that and if that's going to benefit you or not. Because some people drink a non-alcoholic beer and they feel a bit tipsy. And I'm like, well, that's because it's, it's still activating that same um, it is. brain. It's, it's activating the same. It's the, it's the same neural pathway that's yeah. being triggered. And I think that's true. I know I have one friend who just swears by non-alcoholic yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Um, I, I personally want to spit it out as soon as it gets in my mouth. It just yeah. tastes like sugar. I frigging hate it. Yeah, right. Um, it's so interesting. And again, it's, that's down to per That's why some people love Savion Blanc and others like Pinot. Like it's our per personal taste buds as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to just circle back quickly on, um, you said confirmation bias, because yeah. I think um, when, it's, 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 when I hear that and, and I just, for me, I call confirmation bias, like my terminology is invisible boundaries. So to me, confirmation bias looks a bit like this where you go, and I, I don't know if this is correct, so I'm just sort of running it past you, but where you say things like, oh, gee, I had a few, I gave it a good nudge on the weekend, but I wasn't as drunk as Sally in accounts. And so you, because somebody's behaviour was worse oh, yeah. necessarily than yours, yours becomes excusable. And I used to do it all the time. Like I would go, oh, um, yeah, God, like had a massive night out, but like Jeremy spewed in a pot plant. So like, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, right? And so yeah. because I would look at other people's or I would under 
I would say that I had drunk a lot less than what I had. So somebody might say to me on Monday at work, geez, like you're a bit off your head on the weekend. I'm like, I only had four champagnes, knowing full well it was two bottles, right? And yeah. I, I call them the invisible boundaries because excusing our own behavior based on how poorly other people behave is only going to justify our behavior. It's not going to help us change our behavior. And so yeah, what you kind of, and so that confirmation bias, cause that in your head goes, well, at least I'm not that bad. At least it's not leaving Las Vegas. At least I haven't lost my job. At least I didn't spew in my yeah. handbag. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. I, and those thoughts I found when I was thinking about not drinking, I really had to stop looking at everybody else's behavior and, and go, but how is this good enough for you, Maz? Are you comfortable with your relationship with alcohol? Is behaving the way that you're behaving after a few drinks or a few hundred drinks good enough and acceptable enough and sustainable enough? And are you getting the most out of you? And that was when I, I landed on a solid, this is not good enough for me anymore. So now I need to do some work and make some changes and stop looking at everybody else to justify yeah. my stuff. I think I think that's just a brilliant example and our capacity to post rationalize is like award winning it, yes. it, it really it, it really is we're so and creative <laughs> it's so creative it's so good we're so clever right and I think, um, look I think the thing that's missing and why it's just so important that we start to get a handle on these biases is that we are astonishingly irrational yeah we are just moving through our lives, just making errant decisions constantly. It, I like to think of it that our our limbic system where most of these emotional decisions like, I, I, you know, but I wasn't as bad as Sally in accounts and I didn't spew in a pot plant. I imagine that as, um, as Donald Trump and speaking. And then the prefrontal cortex has to come in like the press secretary and justify yes. Yes. the mad thing, the nutso thing that Donald Trump yeah. has just said. So that is quite a mad thing to think. I mean, of course, Sally, Sally's a different person. He gives a rat's what she drunk. But suddenly it comes, you know, it's in your brain and it sounds really rational Yeah, because your prefrontal cortex, its job is to rationalise these emotional decisions, we're incredibly emotional. We just want, we're hedonistic. You want to move towards that pleasure all the time. Mm. And, of course, the myopia sets in. And, of course, this feels really good, but it feels really, really shocking and crappy the next day. Yeah. So I just, look, there's so much to do around trying to really acknowledge the fact that we're driven and irrational and that these biases are playing us, you know, we're on stage and, and they're, they're up above us, you know, pulling the strings and making us do things. It's like people staying in, in you know, completely rubbish, shocking, abusive relationships and then going through that cycle of, yeah. you know, but he really loves me. It's exactly, it's exactly the same thing. Well, it is. It one, is. One of the things that I get people to do in my book is to, write to tell the story of your relationship with alcohol but give alcohol a persona so as if it Absolutely. was a friend and exactly. when you start doing that and you're like well this friend uh makes me feel like crap the next day um this friend makes me get out of control this friend gives me hangovers this friend makes me wake up at three in the morning feeling guilty I'm like if that was a real person yeah. Everyone listening to that story is like, get away from that person. That person is not good for you. That person is toxic. That person doesn't care for you. Perfect. And then you have that was sort of one of my come to Jesus moments where I was like, oh dear Lord, this is not good for me. And I actually, I wanted to stop drinking so badly, but my issue was I had no idea how to not drink because I hadn't learned how to not drink. I'd only learned how to drink in every given scenario that life will throw my way. But that was a really powerful exercise for me. And I encourage anyone listening, if you're umming and ahhing on sobriety and sober curiosity and it feels a little bit difficult, just be honest with yourself. And I think that's a really good start to even just think about your relationship with alcohol and personify it because then you can have a real, I guess, assessment of where you're up to. And then that, I guess that is where we can then think more critically and make some changes. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. 
I think personification of alcohol is absolutely brilliant. And it's 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 similar. That's okay. <laughs> it's similar to this this notion of the amount of self criticism that we daily indulge in. It you know, and it's good to go if a friend said that to you, man, would you keep that person in your life? You know that level of sort of vile. Um, you know, self-flagellation and criticism that we indulge in, you mm. would not put no that way. up, put up with that with, from anybody else. But mm. somehow, because it's in your own head, we do. And I, it's sort of around the same measure. But I think that idea of person, personifying it and then just watching, just really sitting down and just thinking, what is going on with my thinking? And then yeah. saying to yourself, okay, all right, I know we are irrational. We are irrational beings. We're doing the best we can. We've got a, a Stone Age brain in a modern environment. So mm. the things that are triggering us might have been super relevant, you know, 5,000 years ago, but they're really not now. So let's start to get, let's start to catch up and find ways to deal with this modern environment, which throws up things which are causing us so much damage, you know, abusive relationships our relationship with drugs and alcohol, the amount of time we spend on social media that is just very, very bad for our brains, we're mm. not equipped to deal with it because we're still this old part of our brain thinks we're back on the savannah. It's so wild, isn't it? It's wild. It's really crazy because I think too, especially now, we we feel so modernised and we feel so technologically advanced and we we do have access to so many things that you know I was a teenager in the 90s right so I'm in that sort of um that generation that we grew up on analog and VCRs and VHS and and then we switched over into streaming eventually and so I've seen I loved that I was a teenager in the 90s and I didn't have social media let me tell you but we, we do feel like we are so far advanced but really like you know, our brain hasn't advanced. We've come up with really amazing ideas and we we are so brilliant as a race. However, our brains are just going off what happened in our past. And that is that is how our brains function. It's like, well, I'm just going to react because this is what happened last time. So it's, and it's so hardwired, but we do know, the other, you know, wonderful thing about technology and, um, you know, science is we know that we can rewire our brains, which is why we know we can change we our behaviour. We can start critically we can. thinking. We can start going, hang on, I'm having this thought. How do I feel about having this thought? And that, that's really the metacognition basics is yep. actually having a thought and then asking yourself, so this is one that um, that my husband and I try to do so that we don't end up telling ourselves stories that are completely false about what the other person's thinking, which you know, I think people <laughs> yeah. do in marriages a lot. We go, I'll go, um, in my brain I'll have a thought and then I'll go, but is that true? And is that really true? Or do I believe that? Or do I really, really believe that? And you start yeah. like, it's not second guessing, it's just making oh, sure it's analysis. That, it's analysis. that that thought is valid and true. And if there's no validity and no truth to it, then you can just park it because there's no point. I remember Brene Brown shares this amazing story and I love all of her work. She said her and her husband, Steve, they went for a swim and she said they dove in uh, at one part of the lake and they got out at the end. During the swim, she told her story, herself a story in her head about how her husband feels about seeing her in a swimsuit in her 50s or whatever. And by the time she'd gotten to the end and he was getting out at the wharf, she was so mad at him. And he was like, what? (laughs) What happened? And she's like, in the time, she goes, I did not have one conversation with Steve during that swim. But I had convinced myself that he wasn't attracted to me anymore or whatever it was the story was. And she's like, and then I was actively angry at this man who'd just gone for a swim with his wife. Awesome. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, we do it so much. We do it to ourselves. We tell ourselves stories about ourselves. And the metacognition thing is like going like having that initial thought and going hang on a second like do you really think that is that really true or maybe I should check in with that person and ask them if it's yeah. true speak Be- the evidence before, instead of just assuming yeah and before and before we catastrophize the whole thing in our heads 100% we've planned our divorce and we haven't even I know. conversed with this other person you know oh yeah God, I know so- and I think 
This is weirdly, it's, I'm going to say a weird thing, but stick with me. This I love is the weird problem. things, Annie. Weird things is my, it's like that. my spirit animal. <laughs> yeah, straight to the weird things. That I have, oh, hang on, I'm just dropping my ear. Hang on. That this, I have a problem with the term um, authenticity. <laughs> and the reason I have a problem with it is that there is some notion and, you know, I, I, I run a lot of programs and I was on one yesterday in Melbourne and, you know, we were trying to, I was trying to get someone to, to, to hold a different position in, in terms, physically hold a different position in terms of the way they communicated, right? You know, be still, hold your hands differently, whatever. Anyway, and she said to me, it just feels really inauthentic. It doesn't feel like me. And I'm like, well, you know, you're, you're 15, you're 20, you're 30, you're 40, you're 50. Surely over that period of time, we develop and change. And those changes are generally accidental. We're just sort of reacting to our environment as we go or the circumstances that prevail. And what we're talking about here and what you're talking about is actually making changes that are deliberate. So mm. you're analysing the way you're thinking, you know, as you get older and going, does this, is this thinking style actually working for me? Mm. Is this going to give me the result that I want? Or am I just caught in a confirmation bias loop where I'm just reconfirming what I think constantly and then congratulating myself because I feel authentic. Mm. I think the worst thing you can say to a kid is just be yourself. I think it's really dumb. Like, what do you mean be yourself? Like, who am I? I don't know. What does that mean? I was, is that today, this morning? Tonight, oh my God. I don't know who I am. That's such a good point too. Like when I call, so I, I echo you, even though I feel like I do use the word authentic a lot, but I I echo your sentiment with authenticity and I I call it I say that I'm on a progressive revelation of. So for me my how I feel about being sober eight and a half years in is vastly different to how I felt on day 1 because exactly. day 1 I was in pretty much denial and I was very very hungover that day and then after <laughs> two or three months it it shifted and after a year it shifted and three years and now eight and a half years it's and I find it's a progressive revelation of sobriety. That is that is the trajectory that I've set my life on the path of. And I think when you say to a kid, like, oh, my God, their, their upstairs brain isn't developed. They don't know what no. they want. One day my kid wants bow tie pasta. The next, tell me, the next day he tells me he's allergic to pasta. I'm like, I, I can't keep up. So no. it's such a good point. Like, oh, just be yourself. Like they don't know who they are, what they want from minute to minute, day to day. It's a roller coaster. Um, and and the, remembering the male brain or most the male brain specifically that the prefrontal cortex doesn't come online till they're 25. Yeah. So don't make any lifelong decision. decisions don't, before you're 25, dude. Don't get married like at 20. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. It's a crappy idea. Yeah. Don't do it. That's such a, yeah, 25 for blokes, isn't it? And is it slightly earlier for women? Is that? Slightly earlier, but not I, my decision making in my 20s was so crap. Like so I is everyone. It's just it, everybody. I was just an absolute shocker. Yeah, I'm a little bit better now, but man, <laughs> in my twenties, I was chronic. It's funny yeah. too because I feel I feel really conflicted when I think about my twenties because I did make some really crap decisions, but I also had some really great times. Me too. And, and not all of them were around drinking, but there was a part of me that when I stopped drinking, I did kind of grieve. It's like when you hang out with your your buddy all the time. And you spend so much time together, then you stop hanging out with them. And there's a part of you that does miss that. And I didn't miss, sure. you know, like the hangovers and all of the drama and all of the bad stuff necessarily. But I did kind of miss that sort of easy way to engage with, you sure. know, people in, in social situations. And so I, I am, you know, I spent a couple of years of my 20s traveling with work. Like it was a good, it was a great time. But yeah. then, yeah, there were some poor choices and then I think you get into your 30s and life gets a bit real and then, you yeah, know, I'm 43 now and I'm like, oh, my God, what is even going on? Like it's it's so real. But I'm I glad know. that I'm with it enough in my mental health to take it all on and to make decisions f from a clear head. You know, that's my main yeah. thing in life now. I'm like, I don't know how I would be managing a full-time job, a business, 
writing a book, raising a four-year-old. I have stepkids and this is not complaining. This is just what's on my plate. Sure. I couldn't manage all of that if I didn't have a clear head and I wasn't showing up as like my yeah, whole self. Yeah, absolutely. And day. I think that's, 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 you know, it's so many women's stories. Yeah. You know, we, we juggle, you know, we so juggle much. so much. So and much. if you put, if you put drunkenness into that, into that story, it just makes everything so much harder. Yeah. I mean, and I personally, I mean, I, I, I don't have a drinking problem. I occasionally have a drink. I don't drink much, um, but I'm fine with it. Um, Which is great. Fine. It, it's it's totally fine. fine. If it's fine, you know, have, it's fine. It's fine. I have alcohol-free nights in the week. I'm, I'm totally fine with it. I'm not terribly addictive in my personality. I've got other issues. We won't go there. So um, <laughs> For another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I was going to say something really relevant then about that. Uh, not drinking, drinking, nuts gone. It was really good too. Oh no, bring it yeah, back. No, sitting, Get it back out of the, the vault. Sitting in the back blocks of my brain is some amazing thought. What was I going to say? Drinking, You're talking about drinking. you You don't have a problem with alcohol. Women, women have so much on. We juggle so ah, much. We have so much on. And to try and blunt, I think what we do is just try and blunt the emotional edges of the overwhelm with alcohol. That's, that's, that's what I look at with the people that I know mm. that drink a lot. But the thing is, I, if I'm out with them and it's halfway through the night, I'm like, I, I don't like talking to drunk people. I don't like a brain that is furry. Mm. I want some crisp mm. <laughs> cognition to discuss things. And I, I just get, I, I'm really bored now. Yeah. Either drunk people or stone people. I'm like, man, stone's worse. Oh, man, I'm out of there. I'm like, oh, my God, your thoughts on the universe are pretty much of no interest to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, look, so much is shoved yeah. at women. And I think that's, you know, so much is shoved as we, at women. Specifically, we're very vulnerable to marketing because we do form communities you know, it's in our it's in our brain structure. We are built to form communities because if something happens to me, Maz, there's something in my brain that tells me that you're going to take care of my children. So we've got these tendrils of communities that we form. Mm. And I think there is something in our brains where we tend to trust marketing more than we should. And alcohol is just marketed, is it not? Oh, it's huge. marketed Look, to big, the ends of the earth. Big alcohol is, you know, one of the most profitable industries for a reason. And I think, you know, pink washing in alcohol brands where you've got, you know, like a, a, um, a brand that's usually targeted towards men and they stick it in a, pit, a pretty pink bottle and they sell it with a bonus handbag. You know, all that kind of pink washing stuff is... Um, yeah, we're targeted because we women make most of the purchases. Like we, we, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to generalize and get into the gender debate, but it's just the fact. Like you just go to Woolies on a Friday afternoon, and it's mostly women lugging That's around a couple of kids, right? So That's the reality. Yeah, and I think that um, it it we are. Do you know why we are susceptible to? the marketing any like what yep. what is it about wellness trends yep. and fad diets that we just get sucked into and then yeah. it's a load of bullshit it never it load. never works and it ends up making you feel way worse because then you failed at something and i think yep. that's the the trap that we get and i've been there I, back in my 20s i did every diet under the sun um, yep. and not cuz i even needed to lose weight just because maybe i wanted to feel attached to something or that I belonged to something. I don't know. Yeah. I think belonging is a really big part of it. And I think there is so much pressure on women to be sexy, to be thin. I mean, you wait till you get older, Maz. It's astonishing the pressure on women to not age. age. Oh my God, to look, you know, we've I've apparently got to look 30. And I've got to have no body fat and I've got to have this unbelievably healthy diet. And the problem is, is that wellness and magical thinking and, you know, the the secret and you can have whatever you want just by, you know, if you sit at home and you think about it and you meditate on it, you can manifest and create whatever you want. These marketing tools 
that the only people that get what they want are the people that are selling the book or the or the the you know you can get these things to your inbox and it costs you however much a month to do it so the purveyors of the nonsense are getting rich while as you mm. say the purchases of the wellness promise they get nowhere because it doesn't work and then they feel like a failure and that's yeah. what makes me so frigging angry about it is that well I tried to manifest the perfect relationship you know I wanted to <laughs> manifest the perfect job and body and all I've done is is spend $400 on some you know some wellness product and mm -hmm. some you know what about Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop oh my god there's so much lying in that. Yeah. There's so much lying, but it looks from the outside and you get to be part of this community. And then this fires off this part of our brain, especially for women where I feel part of something that's awesome and that's got a good shiny edge to it and it is full of magical promise. And the problem is, and this has been my point and why I wrote those books, is that the the message about critical thinking is so much less sexy because it just <laughs> takes work right yeah a hundred percent and I think you know Annie everyone wants a magic bullet everyone wants sure. the quick fix everyone wants to just be to be able to buy something with the 21 word manifesto that I need to just recite three six and nine times a day and then I'm going to have everything that I ever wanted and What's interesting about that is it doesn't matter how many books you buy and how many things you're writing in your manifestation journal, and I used to have one, um, if you are trying to manifest the, the best relationship and you are dating an asshole, yeah. the problem is <laughs> you're dating an asshole and you can't yeah. manifest uh, yourself out of that relationship because you no. can't change people. So what you no. have to do is break up with the asshole do some work on yourself and then go and find someone that you want to be with who's not going to treat you like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's this other message that nearly drives me insane. Well, a lot obviously drives me insane. But the one, <laughs> <laughs> clearly, uh, but the one that is just so maddening is that whatever it is that is manifesting in the other person is just a part of yourself. So if he's angry and abusive, that's you and you haven't owned it and you need to stay in that relationship so you can learn that is such a heap of crap. Like if you're in an abusive relationship, get out. If you're with a narcissist, get out. Early red flags, listen to them. It's all the same. It's addictive behavior. Get out, work on yourself, work on your um, critical thinking skills and then try and get a better life by doing practical real things in the world, not by sitting in your room you know, writing a whole lot of affirmations about I'm creating abundance. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And it's just, but it's easy and I understand it. Um, I have a friend who fell into that keto gummy. Did you hear about those? The oh, everything's keto... a gummy now. Every... Oh, my God. Collagen gummies. Keto, yeah, keto gummy bears to lose weight. Anyway, she got them. They were just the frigging things from the supermarket just repackaged. Yeah, and they and then she was involved in something. She got scammed where they took three hundred dollars a month out of her bank account to have the pointless frigging gummies. So you know, wellness knows what it's doing. It is. It's, it's an industry. Yeah. It's and We're I, vulnerable. Look, I've fallen We're for vulnerable. it myself too. And I think at the end of the day, like if you if you'd want to talk about food. And I've studied a bit of nutrition. Like just if it's seen the sun, eat it. If it's out of the <laughs> ground, eat it. And if it hasn't, it's probably not going to be great for you. But that doesn't mean that you can't have some Cheerios and a bowl, you know, which I did have last night whilst I was watching a TV Yum. show. You know, that. but I know, I know that that's not great for me and there's zero nutritious value. But I'm not kidding myself thinking yep. that all of those whole grains in those Cheerios are going to do oh. something for me. You know, I think we just need to stop bullshitting ourselves. It, the, the food advice is just, I love what Michael Pollan says. It's like eat, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. That's it. That's it. That's End it. of story, right? End I, of story. And do you know, do you know my tissue box um, has the word wellness on it? I'm like, wow, <laughs> wow. How is my tissue going to make me well? Apparently it is. I don't know. All that crying that you're doing. All that sobbing. 
<laughs> I do love a good cry, but I yeah, never in I the name of wellness. It's just because yeah. my family's insane. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. We're dealing with the stress all the time of families and work and we're oh, busy, right? man, it's so, oh, God, I love talking to you. What a refreshing conversation. I want to um, wrap up because I do like to kind of keep the chats, you know, 40, 45 minutes is pretty good timing-wise. Yep. Is there, if um, someone's listening to this um, and they're like, oh, my God, what's I want to try metacognition, <laughs> um, yep. what's your sort of way to sort of ease people down that journey of applying critical thinking to their thoughts? So that you need to acquaint yourself with the basics of cognitive flaws because unless you're aware of what the flaws are, mm -hmm. you haven't got anything to hang your thinking on. Mm -hmm. So you need to read. You, you can either read my book, um, you can read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. That's a um, great book. I've read that. And it's it's, it's, it's a big book with very yeah. small print, but it's excellent. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. I mean, my books are funny because I think the reason I wrote them was because I wanted to hang a comedic, it's a comedic narrative and at the end of the chapter you, um, I talk about the cognitive flaws that drove the, the um, character's behaviour. Um, so there's that, there's my book, says Kahneman. I'm a member of the Australian Skeptics Society. Um, I listen to the Skeptics Guide to the Universe because I think they start to, they'll take a, you know, a bit of health advice or something and they'll actually start to analyse the veracity of it. So get start reading. You need to read. Yeah. about the basics of critical thinking because if you don't, you don't know what you need, you don't know the way you need to reorganise your thinking. Okay, and where can people get your books if they're interested, Annie? Yeah, so they can, all, all good bookstores. It's at Dimmix at the moment. We had the launch last week. Um, so you, you'll, you'll you, um, Why Smart Women Buy the Lies is the latest one and that's around how vulnerable we are to being scammed. Mm. So uh that, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yep. What an absolute Pleasure. treat to meet you and to have just a great chat. It's not, it's really interesting too, Annie, because some of the stuff you've touched on is really um, the polar opposite of some of the other conversations that I have had on this podcast, but I love sure. being open to all of them. That's kind of, sure. like I said, is that progressive revelation. And so I really I love that. I, pr I appreciate your passion and I appreciate um, how much you know in this space. It's, it's really insightful. So thank you for sharing with me today. Anytime, Maz. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. It was fun and you know stuff. I like that. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 